I quit. I quit. I quit. If I ever quit the podcast, that's how I'll do it. Yeah, I mean, you may as well. I feel like you should probably just quit because you're having to um, listen, you know, watch another goddamn Wes Anderson film. So, But it's the last one, right? Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> and then I don't have to do this again for a while. <laughs> Please. Please. It was good, though, right? You loved it. Loved it. It was your favorite, favorite one yet. Yeah. Best movie ever. Better than Licorice Pizza. Yeah. 10 out of 10. We'll move on. <laughs> there we go is everybody happy now <laughs> cool we don't have to talk about it <laughs> <laughs> oh welcome to the pod trolls cinecast presented by the prince Charles cinema and the bread crumbs collective this is your host john the foster and i am here with my little <sighs> he's french he's <laughs> my french uh, boy he's writing like you know really confusing uh manifestos for no reason he's angry <laughs> It's oh, he's angry. It's Phil. It's me. How's it going, Phil? Oh, ho, ho, Yeah, fuck it. Oh, That's all. <laughs> How you doing this week? Great. Still hungover? <laughs> Still hungover. What, what are the odds, man? This three-week hangover is a bitch. Man, there's something wrong with me. Um, but yeah, good. I'm so looking forward to this episode. I think this is one of the few times where it's... It's been a long time for both of us now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And neither of us are going to remember anything about this movie. Yeah, probably not. I mean, yeah, probably <laughs> not. <laughs> <laughs> you thought about it, though. You're probably like, not. No. I mean, I, I saw this one after I saw Licorice Pizza. So it's a oh. little less, but it was only a few days after. So. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Yeah. But you, yeah, you saw it like quite a bit after. So, yeah. We're just going to wing it. Yeah, we're going to wing it. It's going to be all right. It's just going to be like last week as well, where it doesn't actually matter. So, uh, like, none of this matters. I just hope that you guys are having a good time listening to this podcast, you know, again, because we're back at it. And it's like, you know, four weeks in a row of podcast episodes now. Four weeks of Groundhog Day. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it feels like. Yeah. Danson for Danson. Again? Again? Didn't we just do that? How many movies have these fucking guys made? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, uh, if you guys enjoy the podcast, you know, I'm getting this stuff out of the way early. Bill and I, you know, we do this bonus content over at patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast where you can support the podcast for as little as like a dollar a month and you get early access to all these episodes. And if you want to support us for just a little bit more, you become serious backer over there, you know. A fucking boy. A fucking boy, you know. You could even boys. request shit. Yeah, I mean, that's a serious backer. That's a serious <laughs> backer request though. But yeah, if you just uh, donated $5 or more a month, you get, um, hey, Bonus episodes. We're going to be coming at you loud and hard and fast this year with great bonus episodes, hopefully. Uh, we'll try to be better <laughs> this year than we were last. I don't know how we're they getting They were off. good. The few that we did yeah, were good. Yeah, we got we got some good stuff out there. But um, yeah. anyway, that's patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. Like we always say, we don't get paid to do this, so it's the only way we get paid. It's, uh, it's not much, but it's at least something, and it's kind of nice. And it makes it worth our while for doing this. And um, otherwise, if you're enjoying it for free, keep enjoying it for free. It's all good. You know, you get this free bullshit from us. 
each and every week. And we hope that we're just making your lives a little bit more uh, interesting, entertained. Or worse. I don't know. Or worse. Like, yeah. like I saw, the, I think it was Claire not too long ago, posted like the view and the sound. And it was like, she had, she, I don't know where she was, but it was like a beautiful like mountain range and she was right by the ocean. <laughs> and then we just a screenshot and it was, she was listening to us and I was like, oh man, what a way to ruin the fucking view. Yeah. I think it was over Christmas. Yeah, what did I say? The beauty and the beast? <laughs> yeah, that was it. Uh, <laughs> sums it up. Shout out Claire. She's a good backer over at Patreon. Uh, good pal the Pachal Cinecast and hey their podcast is back uh, W rated um, uh, I wouldn't want to be on that one even though that <laughs> is essentially our Patreon yeah it really is <laughs> our Patreon is always just the worst films <laughs> oh man well Phil last week Woo. we jumped right back head first right back into it right back into the the, the deep waters of uh, two men uh, who we've been charting for the better what? part of like <laughs> I don't know, like a, a year? year now. I don't even know how long ago that started. It was, uh, it was so long ago, and we did it forever because they both have nine and ten films or whatever. Ten, it's yeah. Fucking forever. Um, and we're planning to, you know, com- you know, do this sort of stuff to ourselves again for another director in the future. Um, maybe just one this time though, because <laughs> seriously, three. maybe five at a time. <laughs> No, uh, yeah. the the joke was just Anderson and Anderson. It was funny, so and it was funny, right? And I keep telling myself <laughs> of, as I'm like trying to plan future episodes that we have to do a versus, but we don't really. <laughs> it was just, it was just like funny. No, John, time. we you have to, do you it, have so. to do it. If you're going to talk about a director for the rest of the podcast, it's going to have to be who's it versus? Who's it versus? Where are the verses? Anyway, uh. Phil, it's time once again because we did, you know, last week. Uh, we can get into it again for the last time. Um, yeah, for the last time. Ring that fucking bell. It's really good theme song, at least. Anderson versus Anderson. As you can see, we've had our eye on you for some time now, Mr. Anderson. Anderson, Mr. Anderson, Mr. Anderson, Mr. Anderson, Mr. Anderson, Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson, hey. Hey, the last time. We promised you guys, we're finally here. Last week, we were talking about Paul Thomas Anderson's lovely, full of hot takes. Ode to youth. (laughs) Ode to youth and full of hot takes. Oh, yeah, the controversial. The controversial licorice pizza. And now this week, we travel to France? A sound stage that made to look like... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a fake city uh, that never existed in the time that yeah. never existed in France. The Wes Anderson and specialty. In a country that never existed. <laughs> in what film, Phil? <laughs> the way I want to do the whole thing. The French Dispatch of the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun. Just rolled off the tongue, doesn't it? What a great title. Yeah. He's like, Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Hold my, Hold my beer! beer. <laughs> <laughs> it began as a holiday. 
eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. For decent people. It's supposed to be charming. He assembled a team of the best expatriate journalists of his time. Berenson, Sazerac, Kremens, Roebuck Wright. These were his people. Just try to make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. We take as the subject of tonight's lecture, Mr. Moses Rosenthal. Certainly the loudest autistic voice of his rowdy generation. Simone Naked Cell Block J Hobby Room. I want to buy it. It's not for sale. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes. In short, the picture was a sensation. The kids did this. Obliterated a thousand years of Republican authority in less than a fortnight. What do they want? Freedom, full stop. I'm naked, Mrs. Cremens. I can see that. Lieutenant Nescafier is the great exemplar of the mode of cuisine known as police cooking. The aromas of the kitchen cast a spell, which was to be mortally broken. As you know by now, we have kidnapped your son. from the foreman. One hour to press. You're fired. Really? Don't cry in my office. Arthur Howlitzer Jr. Played by Bill Murray. Groundhog Day again. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. The editor of the newspaper, the French Dispatch, dies suddenly of a heart attack. According to the wishes expressed in his will, The publication of the newspaper is immediately suspended following one final farewell issue in which three articles from past editions of the paper are republished along with an obituary. It's the 2021 anthology comedy, The French Dispatch, written and directed by Wes Anderson, based on a story by Wes Anderson, Roman Coppola. Hugo Guinness and Jason Schwartzman. Phil. They're all here. They're all here. Our boys from uh, Darjeeling Limited. It's that lineup, I think. I can't remember if Hugo Guinness was a part. He might have been. Anyway, Phil, mm. hot takes out the gate. The French Dispatch. You saw this in New York, so. I did. A little while ago. I did. Saw it in New York for some reason. Um, <laughs> it was this or Ghostbusters, and I ended up watching both. Um <laughs> You know, that thing with time, you know, as much as things change, some things stay the same. <laughs> and my opinions on this Anderson versus Anderson arc will never change, apparently. Yeah. I'm not even bothering anymore. I, I, I didn't really like this movie. I thought it was kind of boring. I fell asleep, to be honest with you, when I watched it. <laughs> and 
you know, I sort of wasn't paying attention to the opening, so the whole movie was kind of confusing. But it it just leaned into everything I don't like about West Anderson movies. <laughs> it just, it was why I was worried about post-Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I think I liked it more than Grand Budapest Hotel because at least the framework justified this kind of storytelling. This like Russian nesting doll style of storytelling, yeah. where just everything leads to another thing, leads to another thing, leads to another thing. But you get to the last thing and you open it and there's nothing inside. Mm. That's what it feels like watching a Wes Anderson movie, which is fucking really frustrating because this is also like the peak of his game, like visually. It's yeah. It immaculate, looks amazing. Immaculately conceived and yeah. constructed and even played with form and medium. And I like that. And I wanted more of that, man. Like, do an animated movie. You know, like, that sequence was so thick right in the middle where it just turned into an animated movie. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, just do one of these things. I know that's how he's always written scripts. Like, I've seen interviewed with him where it's like, he gets a few ideas over the years and then he puts them together and then that's what becomes the, the next film. And that was, you know, unique for a time, but now it's just too much. And this, it's like, I get it. You like the New York Times. I get it. There's stuff in here I should have liked. There's a whole section essentially about James Baldwin, who I love. And even that I found really boring. It was just, <laughs> and it, it just adds the same thing of every anthology movie. Somehow, it's like, it's the same thing with Buster Scruggs. It's like the first one is good, and then everything else just gets worse <laughs> and worse. You know what I mean? And it like, yeah. none of it really comes together, the bullshit fucking vignettes in between. And I just wasn't, I just I couldn't couldn't really get into it, and it's just a waste of a good cast, and it's a waste of such talent. But maybe I'm wrong, and that's not like an objective thing. That's purely subjective. It's not the kind of West Anderson movie I like, but this is the one that seems to do better for him. These yeah. kinds of movies, people yeah, really yeah. like these. But like, he just jumped off. You know, he went too far in what to one end for me, and this was just more of that. Yeah, very. It's the same feeling in Grand Budapest. It's the same, just sort of like, this is fun and stylish, but like, there's just, I can't grasp onto anything. There's moments. There are moments that he touches on something like real sentiment. Mm. It's so brief and it's so flashing. You move on without a care. There's like the hint of more, of more stories and more characters, but it just never goes there. Whereas, like, if we're going to do Anderson versus Anderson, where PTA picks a small group and digs into them really deep. Yeah. Like, and you really get to know these people. And then it's just, you don't, everybody at that fucking poorly acted play sort of feel where it's like a bunch of good people delivering lines really stiff and like <laughs> without context. And I just, yeah, I'm, uh, no, man. It just, it didn't do much for me. I got, I'm kind of tired of it. It just makes me appreciate some of the early stuff more. But I don't want to be too hard on it. I really don't. Because it's not a bad movie. You can't call them bad movies. They're so fucking well done. Um, They're exactly what he wants them to be. Yeah. But whether you like it, it's up to you. What did you think? Well, I agree with a lot. I agree with a lot that you said. Am I being too harsh? No. Not at all. I think you, you like, hit it kind of on the head and I think it uh, was very well said. To be honest, I was actually sur- I, I think it's funny because I've um, <laughs> removed from it quite a bit now. Mm. Um, <laughs> Several months later. <laughs> and so when I was, you know, it talked about last week uh, with Licorice Pizza, that 
film has like been sitting on me and it's been inside, you know, my head and like I've been living with it quite a bit and I thought about it a lot and I want to see it again. This one, not the same. Like I'm not mm. thinking about this film. I don't like with the exception of knowing that we're going to talk about it on the podcast. So I'm trying to keep bits in my head and stuff, but it's does it's not one of these things that like I'm like, well, I like really fucking enjoyed that. However, when I first saw it, I will say that like when I first saw it, I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. Mm-hmm. Um, I had very little expectations. And like you, I think I did enjoy it more than I liked uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, especially after first watch. Now, after the second watch of Grand Budapest, I think I because that was when we did it for the podcast. I hadn't seen it since I saw it in the cinema back in the day, but mm. Um, I think I enjoyed it a lot more on that second viewing and I was kind of surprised by that, but it still, it still had that sort of thing that just didn't sit right with me. Mm. And I think in the long run, uh, Julie and I saw this together a few weeks ago. And like, as we left the cinema, I was more like positive towards it than she was. Um, and I, after time, I kind of get it a little bit more. Cause you know, is if it's festering in your head a little bit and it's just like mm. thinking like, yeah, I mean, it's not like, like you said, there's like elements to it that are like really good. And then there's elements that are just like, eh, and it was boring at times. And it is one of those films where there's a lot of like fucking uh, context and dialogue and all that sort of stuff that gets thrown at you really quick. And if you yeah. like miss it, then you kind of are lost. So I was oh, lost yeah. in certain times in the film because mm-hmm. it was just like, there's a lot going on. I love anthologies. We talked about, uh, the Twilight Zone film and like we I love a good anthology I think maybe yeah. that's something I would like to do because we've we talked about it quite a bit on, on this podcast that like uh-huh. maybe we should do some anthology films that'd be kind of fun mm-hmm. uh, we even tried to do a good one around uh, Halloween but you guys didn't oh, want to yeah. hear Tells from the Hood you don't want to hear about <laughs> it because you're racist <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah this film it's weird like I I think it helps a little bit that it is an anthology that you have all these people that like, because I feel like if he's going to do a film that has like this many people in it, it's better if he does it like an anthology where they get their moments to shine and then you move on, you know, Mm. and it's fine. Whereas most of his films, there's so many characters that like I was saying last week, they're like glorified cameos. They're just there like, and they don't do anything and they don't add anything to the story. And they're just like, it's mm-hmm. just to have that person's face there. But that's also the problem with this film. There is some of those characters like are in this film. Like Saoirse Ronan's completely wasted. Like she is. And she's really she's good. So she good. has one of the best moments yeah. in the movie. And she, but it's like, so, died immediately. so throwaway. She's barely in it. But like you said, it is beautifully made. Uh, the opening sequence is fucking insane. Like that whole thing with the guy, like bringing, like the waiter bringing in, like the the plate, and like that whole shot of him, like putting all the stuff on the plate, like mm. all the drinks and little things, knickknacks and snacks and stuff, and moving the tray around. It's so awesome. It looks amazing. And then the whole like. Yeah, it, it's everything that like Wes Anderson's been building up to in the last. Like, it, it just keeps getting sure. more and more insane. Like, um, some of the things that I thought were like the fault in uh, Grand Budapest, I was kind of like laughing about. Uh, in this film, it's like I think because I just had 
fewer expectations and I was quite a bit removed from Anderson versus Anderson, the arc that like, <laughs> I think I was just like, I knew it was going to come. So I just kind of let it go. And I actually thought that like some of the moments that I thought I was going to make fun of were the switching of like between color and black and white and stuff uh, was actually done pretty decently. I thought those moments where it was black and white and then, you know, you would say, oh, let me see your eyes. Like, you know, the social Rona moment and uh, they show the kids. eye, like, well, the kids looking at her and she shows her eyes through the peephole mm-hmm. and yeah. you just see her blue eyes and it's all in color and stuff. It's like really a cool moment. Like those moments are kind of cool. But um, but yeah, there is something about this film where it's like because it is in segments, all the stories don't hit. It's, a, it's always going to be hit and miss just from the way it's done. It gets so boring in the middle. <laughs> it drags. Yeah. And talk about, I mean, one film, the you know, the one we just talked about, got a lot of shit for a certain thing. Yeah. This and film didn't. <laughs> this film didn't. Age gap. Just saying. I want to break up each story and we'll go through kind of like all the people and stuff. Uh, well, you know, not all because there's In 10 billion section. films. But I'd rather break it up like... Uh, because that's what this film really is. It's a it, we're gonna break it up, sort of like we did with our anthology film, uh, you know, Twilight Zone, where we talked about each segment. I think we should do that for this. But before we do that, Phil, we're in France. We are. They like their snacks in France. They do. Snack time. I'm desperate for good times, although it seems hopeless. But if we have a snack time, our hope will grow. French version of the theme song. I, God, I'm going to have to do a new do an snack accent. time theme. Fuck. Le snack time. <laughs> Phil, what'd you bring for snack time? You go first this time. Well, you're right. We're in France. I wanted to have something Frenchy. Um, so I have a pano chocolate. Pano chocolat. <laughs> and it's nice. been sat, sat out for a while. Ooh. Very stiff. From same breeze. Hard as a rock. Hard as a rock. I'll just take a bite. Like a rock. <laughs> oh, like a rock. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. Enough of that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a pan of chocolat. How many uh, nude portraits are you doing of, uh, I don't know, someone? Of someone? Like carved into the wall so they can't be sold? <laughs> yeah. Two? Two. It's kind of weak. It's just it's cool. a bit cold and stale, but it's very sweet. Hopefully mine's not going to be cold, but uh, Phil, you know, we're in France. You made something. In France, I had to make, you know, something, uh, you know, I've got my uh, coffee in my French press. <laughs> and I'm just pushing down and... For the benefit a, of the listener. A black coffee here, you know. 
Black coffee, that's it? Yeah. That's it. Just a black coffee. It's black. Black coffee. At uh, 10 o'clock. Not really a snack. 10 p.m. Okay. I mean, you know, it's, I'm, I'm currently in my like, just intermittent thought... fasting sort of thing, and that's all I can eat. It, you know, is, uh, you know, that's all I can have is either water or, like, maybe black coffee with no milk in it, so. Okay. Just kind of convenient, right? <sighs> Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> right, in the good. It's all right. It's a new coffee. I ran out of my favorite coffee, Taylor's of Harrogate number mm. three. It's pretty good. Lazy Sunday, but this is a a, a co-op brand um, mm. number three. I don't know. They're better so with okay. the French press. I mean, it's actually kind of perfect. I want to make fun of it, but the French press. Yeah. Yeah. See. It's- yeah, see, you're like making fun of it. I was totally yeah. being lazy. Yes, I yeah. was, but um, you yes, know, I was. It's like it's the French press, dude. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Okay. That's how well, little I, I it, care. I hope, <laughs> I hope it keep. I hope it keeps you up all night. <laughs> Phil, you just sit and you think about this movie. Phil, we can't be starting wars over here. You know, not that kind of war. No, it's you know, it's, what war. is it? What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Maybe something. Maybe something. Maybe we'll sit on thing. that. We'll sit on that. We'll think about that. Spell it. You know, wrestling and romance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Phil. We're we're just gonna go through, like I said, one by one, little the story. So we're briefly introduced to the town, the fictional French town, Ennui. Ennui sur Blase, where uh, <laughs> the French Dispatch is published. So. We get introduced to the whole like team. So Arthur Howitzer, Bill Murray, like, you know, he passes away, but he's like an American who comes from Kansas City to to France to this town and starts up this fucking magazine or whatever. I don't know. Which I don't understand. Yeah. Explain. Why does this little town have a French dispatch section in their magazine? Yeah, I don't know. And like, how I, do they afford it? I I I really don't know, and I don't. I didn't really pay attention to that part at the beginning. <laughs> it's just Owen Wilson talking at camera, telling you about the town. That's something I meant to say about this, and I I've, I've been meaning to say, and I was trying to remember this, and that just reminded me. Uh, that is something about I. I, obviously, I didn't pay attention to the very beginning. I guess anyway. I mean, you know, I got the gist. He died, and they need to. They were doing this. They were going to shut it down. Yeah. But like, I wasn't really paying attention to the, like the finer details of like, because you know, it takes you a bit to kind of like really get in the moment of a film, especially sometimes when it's busy and there's a lot of people moving around and shit. So you're just like, this movie won't stop yeah, talking. It just like from the get go. So. I kind of miss those little bits and pieces, but like I also got the impression and it was the same thing that happened in the Grand Budapest Hotel where they talk about how amazing, like, you know, Grand Budapest, how amazing that hotel is, but they do everything but stay in the hotel. Whereas in yeah, this, right. it's like how amazing the French dispatch is and blah, blah, blah. And all the people, why I want to, I'd rather have seen like those people at work rather than these like stories that have anything but to do with like the and French none dispatch of them are interacting with each yeah. other. That's what I thought it was going to be yeah. initially just hearing about it was like, Oh, it's going to be set in a newspaper in that building. Yeah. And you'll see all these departments working with each mm. other telling stories. 
I think the only thing you did see was like Bill Murray going to each of the people and those moments are fine. They're like fine. And then there was was always connective tissue. (laughs) Wally Wolodarski in the background, just not doing anything, which was actually kind of funny. (laughs) He's never completed a story. He's just (laughs) a fucking weirdo. All right. So we then get uh, this whole introduction to the town of Anhui by the cycling reporter. Welcome back. Owen Wilson as uh, Urbsant Sazerac or whatever. I mean, whatever. Like it, that, that whole, it, like I thought that was going to go longer. I wasn't really sure. You know, obviously I hadn't seen it, so I didn't really know that it was like just kind of like a brief intro. So yeah, it's very yeah, it's brief. Literally that. It's very brief. It's okay. And it's just Owen Wilson. Yeah. Doing Owen Wilson. Are there any, apart from, oh no, there's a few. There's a couple. I'm going to say, are there like any French people? (laughs) (laughs) All in the second, the second bit. The second bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it's just like, I remember there's a lot of. Yeah, where are all these American people there? It's a lot of America. Again, it's the other dog thing. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to go there. I really like it, but I can't be bothered, you know. But I can't understand it unless I have the lens of a white American, preferably. (laughs) Preferably. (laughs) Preferably. Yeah. Uh, All right. And then we move on to the stories. Okay. So, first up, the banger. It's the best one. The banger. The best one. The concrete masterpiece, which really is the concrete masterpiece of this film. All right, so J.K.L. Berenson, played by Tilda Swinton, delivers a lecture in an art gallery detailing the career of Moses Rosenthaler, played by Benicio Del Toro. There's your boy. Did it do it justice for you? Sure, yeah. In the context of this movie, like, where, you know, it wasn't just a scene. He he got a whole section. Yeah. Like a third in the movie. It felt like it was him. long as well, which was good. That, that it section, felt like the longest section. bit. Yeah. Yeah. My problem with this section is more how it was told rather than what it was. I thought it was the most interesting. I thought the story was great, but like, like, could they just, they're already stories. Like, they were already articles. Can it just not be narrated? Does it even need to be narrated? Like, <laughs> yeah. why does it need to be a fucking lecture that we yeah. keep cutting back to? Why is it the Tilda Swinton show? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not about her. She's the least interesting part of this she is, bit. And she, yeah, so uninteresting in this And bit. it keeps becoming yeah. about her, and it's just yeah. it's frustrating. Every time they brought her and that ma lady into it, like that she used to work with, it's just, uh, it's like, Didn't I don't care. care. Don't care. Yeah. You don't need I would, them. I think this was the only section you could actually, could have been stretched out to its own movie. Okay, yeah. All right. I'll you continue. could have followed him. I'll continue. You could have followed him. With the synopsis of it, and then we can talk about that, because I did want to talk about that anyway. Uh, all right, so it's detailing the career of Moses Rosenthaler as Benicio del Toro, and then the younger version is Tony Revolori from Grand Budapest. Glad he's back. Nice to see him yeah. back. Flash as well. That was one of my favorite shots where they just sort of take over from each other. Yeah. I thought that was a really nice was way really of cool, doing yeah. it. And uh, he is incarcerated in prison after murdering some men in his youth. Moses finds his love for art again. Because uh, he is an artist, uh, he finds his love for art again with the help of his muse Simone, played by Alea Sado, who unfortunately has to get nude in the film. But he's painting a lot of tasteful nudes of her in really bizarre ways. She's a prison guard with whom he has a relationship with. Then we get our boy. What happened to him? Julian Cadazio, played by Adrian Brody. What happened? <laughs> splice happened. Splice. Uh, and why a- would it splice? <laughs> he's an art dealer. 
serving time for tax evasion, and he's immediately taken by one of Moses' paintings, offering to buy it, and then turning Moses into an art sensation, and eventually commissions Moses to create a new masterpiece. Years later, frustrated by the lack of new art, Julian and his uncles, played by Bob Balabin and Henry Winkler. What a touch. Love those two together. It's so fun. Uh, They go to the prison to confront Moses, only to find that his latest masterpiece is painted as a fresco on the prison wall. (laughs) Great. Oh, great. Dude, this and then they have that weird fight in the wheelchair. I love this segment. I thought this was great. A, if the rest of the film kind of kept this sort of pace, it would have been really fun. Yeah, because this was fun and fast and weird, and but like an interesting yeah. and it had some depth to it. it. Talked about outsider art and the Benicio del Toro and, character was like really like sad and stuff, and it was just like the yeah, suicidal like, artist. Yeah, it was like interesting, and then like. Adrian Brody is so good in it. Like he's been in Secession lately he's as well. Like he was in an episode of Secession. So I like had Secession and then this film and I was like, yeah, Adrian Brody, let's go. Come back. Yeah. I want him to do more. He's great in this film. And he was, it was really awesome. Uh, I definitely agree that this should have just been the whole film. I said yeah. it last yeah. time. I wanted to see him do a fucking prison movie. He has this big prison segment and it's just like, just stay there. It's really interesting. Just stay there. But like, I feel like it would have tied up quite easily if you had made, I'm jumping ahead. and I can't, I can't figure out how to do the third bit, but if you wanted to do this movie, like just make Chalamet's story, his backstory. Yeah. And it leads to, you know, that big riot at the end and he accidentally killed someone that's him in jail and then you skip ahead. And it could be a life in three sections rather than a newspaper in three sections. Yeah. Dude, really. you could have even had the last segment pay off that he was the, you know, the guy in prison that they were trying to get out. You know, and they like, you know, that like. been good. Yeah, he could have gone off and be like, why are we doing this? And then it comes back to him. Yeah. Anyway, I I found this to be really fun. Del Toro's great. Uh, Leia Sudo is great. Like the whole prison guard. Like I, I, I love the the scene Flash where manager. He, he tries. To, yeah, yeah. I love the scene where he's trying to kill himself because it's just too much, and she's just and like she shocks him yeah. for a second. She, does, she so actually funny. done that. Yeah, really funny scene. Like an interesting, sweet sort of relationship between the two of them. And yeah, I mean, I love Bob Balaban and Henry Winkler. Now he's in like. <laughs> I mean, he's he keeps bringing in so many people, but they're always amazing people. So it's always fun. Like, I mean, them being the fucking rich uncles of Adrian Brody is hilarious. And like, yeah, that whole segment's really fun. I, I would have mm. definitely liked to have seen that be the whole film. But I agree with you. The Tilda Swinton stuff was kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's like, she's fine. I don't mind Tilda Swinton. I know some people, it's like, you know, it's an acquired taste. You either like it or you mm. don't. But uh, I don't like her in this segment. I think she had a very weird accent as well that just didn't sound authentic. Everything about it was just a bit odd. It's a bit yeah, odd. I didn't know, I didn't know what she was doing. It yeah. was just, yeah, it reminded me of like a Nick Broomfield documentary where you're like halfway through <laughs> it becomes about him. Yeah, and yeah. Like, Stop. I don't care. I don't care if you slept <laughs> with this person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you kill Kurt Cobain? <laughs> I, I think at this point of the documentary, I um I killed Kurt Cobain just by making this documentary. He knew that I was going to make this documentary one day, and he just he killed himself. So Nick. I turned myself into the police. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Brewfield season. Here we go. Yeah. Woo! 
Oh, we man. have to dress up. We have to walk around with uh, boom mic. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we record the episodes. Yeah. <laughs> like that kid podcast in Ghostbusters. Yeah, fuck. That's all podcasters that, do anyway. Yeah. That kid with a little Nick Broomfield. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The next segment was revisions to a manifesto. So Lucinda Krimitz, played by Francis McDormand, reports on the students' protest breaking out in the streets of Bonnie. <coughs> That soon boils over (laughs) into the chessboard revolution. While the revolution initially is inspired by petty concerns over access to the girls' dormitory, the traumatic military conscription of one student, Mitch Mitch, inspires greater uprising. Despite trying to keep her neutrality, Kermitz has a brief romance with the self-styled leader of the revolt, Zeffirelli, played by Timothy Chalamet. And secretly helps him write his manifesto. Juliet, played by Lena Caldry, sorry, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, a fellow revolutionary, is unimpressed with his manifesto. After they briefly express their disagreement about its contents, Kremitz tells the two to go make love, which they do. And a few weeks later, much you know, to my excited excitement and pleasure, uh, Zeffirelli is killed, uh, attempting to repair... The pirate radio station. That was kind of to funny. Your yeah, I just fucking killed Sh- Chalamet. And uh, soon, his photograph becomes the symbol of the movement. Mm. Uh, this was boring. <laughs> this one was boring. It was boring. But we do have to talk about how come no one's talking about the age gap there. Because he's kind it's of... Creepy like, it's creepy. He still lives at home with weird. his family. So he, yeah. his mom's like in the other room. They're fucking. And... It's and everybody's just okay with like, it because it's France. Yeah, like, are they supposed to be in college or something? I don't really know, but, like, it's weird. It's, it's just crazy. visually weird as well. Yeah. Like, Timothy Chalamet and Francis McDormand. Like, I love Francis McDormand. Sure. But she could have been used way better than this. This, this, I don't know. We didn't need Chalamet in this film. Like, I don't know. It's almost like he was, this segment is just to fit Chalamet in for some reason. And like, I don't know. I don't get it. Like. It's Chalamet gets to be like, get to do his like Fellini time, right? You get to have that moment. Yeah. Like he's in like this like new wavy 60s movie, but you get to have the cool hair and the mustache and the cigarette. I do remember feeling like I liked the style in this the most, maybe. Sure. Not sure. not not the way it was shot per se, but like um, not the shots or anything, but maybe the costumes in that sort of sense of style. Because I had just it's, like prior to seeing this, I think had watched Days of Being Wild. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I was talking about my sessions with the Wong Kar Wai season going on at Prince Charles, which is probably over by now. Actually, no, we're doing the like we're doing the marathons and stuff. We're doing like yeah, the triple bill and like, the, the triple all-nighter. bill and the all nighter, which. Go watch that shit. It's fucking those films are great, and that's a trippy good time at the cinema. They're mm. so beautiful. But I think I thought like at the time of watching that, I had just watched Days of Being Wild. It's set in the '60s, um, and I've just watched In the Mood for Love. You know, by the time this goes out, a couple of weeks ago, and that's set in the '60s, and it's really beautiful. And uh, I think like all all the characters, like you know, they have that sort of style to them, and they look cool. And it's like mm. the music is really cool. There's a cool song choice in that segment, but it's everything else is kind of boring. And it's just like it really drags the film down. 
But it's just because it doesn't go beyond that. It's just it looks cool. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like anyone. You don't care about anyone. Then nobody changes. There's no yeah. real conflict. It's kind of, again, it's trying to say something. I mean, it should be the most, uh, not touching, but the most striking bit and the most religious about socialist revolution. That's yeah. what everybody's constantly talking about online. And it just doesn't it in a really like boring way. And it's trying to, again, each section is trying to say something. And this one's talking about like generational values and meeting in the middle and compromise and yeah. how we make change. And, you know, like they're both wrong and they're both right. They both have something to offer. It's about working together in the end. But it's just by the time you get there, you don't give a shit. You're just like, <laughs> what the next one? Can we just move on to the next one? You know what, though? It's kind of interesting that this is a, a, a film about a newspaper or a magazine. Um, and it's told like, you know, like the way you would read a magazine, there'd be all these like stories and stuff and they're all different. Mm. But like a magazine, when you're reading it and if there's a story you're reading that's boring, you just flip the page and go to the next one. And that's what yeah. we're doing here because that's what I felt like doing for this. <laughs> this is the what, yeah, this is like a worst kind of magazine article because you can't put it down. Yeah, you can't like stop it. Like At least if you're watching it at home, you can fast forward. But if you're in the cinema, you're stuck there. <laughs> you have to keep reading it. You have to finish yeah. it. Yeah. And it, it's like reading a book. <laughs> And then we move on to the private dining room of the police commissioner. So during a television interview, Roebuck Wright, played by Jeffrey Wright. Uh, Roebuck Wright, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Wright. Wright. I didn't realize that they, they were both right. Um, recounts, <laughs> Two wrongs don't make a right. Uh, recounts the story of his attending a private dinner with the commissary of the Unwe Police Force, uh, who's played by Matthew Matthew Amarik. Um, he, <laughs> this dinner is prepared by the legendary police officer, chef, Lieutenant Nescafe, who's played by Stephen Park. Nescafe. Nescafe, uh, is a famous specialist in the kind of hot cuisine, spe- uh, specifically designed to be eaten by working police officers. The dinner is disrupted by the commissary's son, Gigi. Or Gigi. Is it Gigi? Yeah, Gigi. Played by sure. Winston Eit Halil. And he is kidnapped and held for ransom by criminals led by the film musician labeled The Chauffeur, played by Edward Norton. Uh, the kidnappers... <laughs> I'm doing so bad reading this. Ki- I, I believe it's pronounced Edouard Norton. Edouard Norton. <laughs> the kidnappers uh-huh, uh, represent the warring criminal syndicates of Anui sur Blase and demand the release of an underworld accountant, Albert, nicknamed the Abacus, played by William Defoe, who possesses... <laughs> William Defoe. <laughs> William Defoe. Yeah. Who possesses yeah. their shared financial records. The Abacus... I didn't is, even remember Willem Dafoe in it. No. Yeah, I completely forgot as well until I was prepping this. The Abacus is being held in solitary confinement uh, at the police headquarters and Wright recollects his own imprisonment in that same cell for his homosexuality, for which he was bailed out by Howitzer and offered a job at the dispatch. Following a shootout at the kidnapper's hideout, Gigi manages to sneak out a message in Morse code, send the cook, which Nescafe, Nescafe is, uh, <laughs> is sent to the hideout to cook food for the boy and the kidnappers, but secretly laces it with poison. Everyone is killed, apart from Gigi, 
and the chauffeur and also Nescafe who has to eat a little bit of it to, to prove that, you know, it's safe to eat. Um, but Gigi and the chauffeur don't like radishes, which he secretly put in there so that Gigi wouldn't eat it so he wouldn't die. And this leads to a big car chase with Gigi managing to escape out of the sunroof and the chauffeur's car crashes. Uh, okay, this one. <laughs> Uh, I feel like it, it was trying, like, come climbing out, kicking and screaming from, like, how, like, boring that, you know, you're too, the middle one was. But it's, it's kind of too this late. One, this one's too little too late. Yeah. It's like you're too deflated after that middle connection mm-hmm. to care. And this last connection is more igniting. It's a lot more confusing now. Yeah. There's too many names. and it's, There's a lot you know, going like, on. For it's sure. not going on, and it's like I don't care about food. Yeah, you know, and it's like Ratatouille did this better. Like, <laughs> yeah, this like you know meaning of life through food. But it's this is the bit I re- this was the section I referenced earlier that I should have liked. It's essentially it's riffing off James Baldwin, uh, like journalistic career. Yeah, and that's interesting. And Jeffrey Wright plays it really well. And again, it's got this unnecessary extra framework of the TV show within a, a retelling already like it's yeah, just it's, another thing he to just cut didn't to know how to tell these stories like he like how to put them in the context of like you know this magazine so how am i going to tell this story so it's like being recounted on a tv show it's like what but that's one was, yeah extra frustrating because again i thought it had um some interesting stuff to yeah. say in that the journalist was an interesting character but i didn't care about the chef and the plot to kill the guy son and the kid is like the kid from Moonrise Kingdom. It's like it's just like every. It feels like every other West Anderson yeah, movie. Yeah, he it, got it, it in just, there. It just feels like West kids. <laughs> yeah, it just feels like West knocking off West now. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's just ripping off himself. It feels like very um, fulfilling. There was moments I did like, like, like the and the animation bit, like yeah. I said earlier. It was one of my favorite bits, mm. just because it was a fucking change, at least, and it like pulled you out of it. And it was like, I just wish you'd conform to one of these ideas. Yeah, and I think play it and actually play it out, and it would be a more satisfying movie. I think. Yeah, for me anyway. Stylistically, I feel like this one uh, hit a lot of good notes with like the way it was. Uh, you know, using the switch switches between colors and camera movement and all that sort of yeah. stuff, especially when they're, you know, they're at the table and they're trying to exp- like, he's explaining how like things taste it and the, the colors and all that. And when those moments happened, like the color would come and it was like very mm. like cool moments. And also I already mentioned the like social Ronan's like blue eyes being shown. That was like a cool visual moment, but yeah, there are those moments where it dips and I, I, I do, I do really like Jeffrey Wright's portrayal of the character. And I think it has Mm. that really nice moment where, you know, he's dealing with his homosexuality and stuff. And like, like those moments. And again, very similar to Licorice. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. It's like, you know, you had the last one where it was the whole thing with the age gap. And this is like, you know, a person dealing with their homosexuality. And it's just like at a time where it's not as, I mean, it's hardly acceptable by everyone now. Um, Mm. You know? Yeah. And but back then, back it then was it was jail just, sentence. Yeah, and, putting uh, him in jail. And mm. yeah, so I do like, I think it's easy to kind of get like uh, lost in those moments and like feel bad for characters like that. Uh, like, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I like that moment. I'm, I'm not saying like Wes Anderson used that bit as a crutch, <laughs> but you know, maybe. But it's a core, it's an emotional core. Yeah. Um, um, but there were fun. I thought that it was kind of fun, like 
Edward Norton's always really fun. So he kind of makes he made that like moment. It, it was very cartoony and it turned into a cartoon. So that whole bit was kind of <laughs> hilarious. Just like it's Wait, just it reminded silly. me of Batman. Yeah, it's very silly. Like the shooting, like the whole shootout was silly. Like everything about it was kind of fun. Um, it, it, it reminded up- me. It was like a far cry from the shootout in uh, Life Aquatic. Yeah. Oh, God. Like that's golden golden yeah. golden time golden star. yeah <laughs> like but the the chase was really fun everything about that was kind of fun um so it was it had its ups and downs i feel like it definitely picked up the steam a little bit from the middle middle story but it's still like a it lot did, of yeah. the steam was taken out of the film from and then that it middle story. Of, and it ends on like after this bit not to jump ahead, but no, I mean, that's where we're going anyway, so it's fine. The obituary, it does a wrap up, and you know, they're gonna write the obituary and end on a really fucking bum note, like, yeah, we'll write it together, yeah, no shit. <laughs> All right, <laughs> how else would this movie end? There's literally no other like string, yeah, it's very thinly, like, you know, tied together, it's barely again. A that's package. that's the problem with like, like we we're saying, or, or I said earlier, was like that it felt like you didn't really spend enough time with these characters in the fucking newspaper room. So I don't Mm. care about like Elizabeth Moss's character or Jason Schwartzman's character. He's a cartoonist or Fisher Stevens or Griffin Dunn or, you know, Wally Waladarski's kind of funny just in the background because he kind of appears a lot, but you just don't get to like really know any of these characters. So it doesn't really matter. And I don't care about the French dispatch, which is what this whole film is supposed to be about how great the French dispatch was. But wasn't it? But was it? I would have, you could have done even more section, but like have them be more di- like Schwartzman could have gotten known section. Yeah. And it would have been completely animated. Sorry, I'm really banging on about that idea. Yeah. But you could do it even of the style of the old New Yorker cartoons. Yeah. Right. Which is again, what he'd riffing off, but yeah, for a thing that's meant to make you like this thing. It doesn't, do that good of a job yeah i i feel like i want him to i still want him to do it just a proper prison film and i don't know if he'll ever do it now but he's had two films in a row where he's had like really (laughs) fun prison scenes or two i mean like just do a cool weird film with a few zany characters at a newspaper place just about the people who are making the news i mean Mm. there are movies like that like of course about newspaper people but like it's still like always interesting instead of like you're doing a love letter to newspapers but you're just doing weird segmented stories told by people who are working at a newspaper but like they're everything but the actual newspaper (laughs) you know it's like it's just inherently disjointed yeah it's always going to be because of what it is but disjointed things are just hard to I find hard to connect with. Yeah. Because it's like, it just needs to be about something. It needs to be saying literally anything. Yeah. And like making me feel anything. And I just don't feel that anymore. And it's stuff. And that makes me sad. Yeah. It's a shame. I haven't in a while. It's a shame. Cause like, I still think about Darjeeling Limited as just being such an amazing movie. And like, yeah, that's those films still, that's before peak. just being really fun as well. But like, that one's just like peak, just fills, you know, like, Ah, I mean, Angelica Houston, Darjeeling Darje Limited Connection. She was the narrator. It was nice hearing her voice. I'd like to see her on screen again. Um, I didn't even notice. Yeah, she was the narrator. 
I, I just really want him to go. I mean, we said this before, and this is like the last time we're going to have to say it for a long time if until he ever makes another film. But like, uh, I just want to go back to basics. Just simple, man. A lovely prison film with just a few characters. You know, I don't want that. <laughs> like, we'll give him as many characters as he had in Royal Tenenbaums. That's the most you can do. <laughs> That's your limit. That's your limit. Otherwise, scale it back even more. And one of those people has to be Adrian Brody. He has to be the star. That's what I want from it. (laughs) (laughs) I just want Dodgy Limited to be in a prison. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's on a train track. Dude, if they were in prison in like, you know, I don't know, Bangladesh or something like, you know, somewhere, just some strange place. Like just they get thrown in prison. Do we want West Anderson to go to another country and, you know, do... Hey, I mean, I made that joke on Twitter about, like, uh, back in the day, you know, West Anderson would have actually filmed this on a fucking train track instead of making this, like, really dumbass, like, set. (laughs) Like, oh, it's on a train. No, it's not. It's the bullshit set. I want him to go to another country and just, like, fucking be forced to use the shit around him. And again, you can tell that different and a change in how you watch it yeah it's easier to engage in a, a real life thing yeah again like i didn't like you know i'm not the, i wasn't that big on life aquatic but it had a nice mix of the two yeah because it, was it like, felt like it was set in the real world yeah. but then it had these really weird otherworldly bits you, you you actually reminded me though there was a few because <laughs> he had a lot of stop motion stuff in this film but it felt a lot mm. like life aquatic which i thought was kind of funny like because it looked funny like it wasn't like like the fish. Yeah, the, all the weird fish and stuff. Yeah, like there was like moments in like other films where he used like I didn't really like the stop motion bits in uh, Grand Budapest. Like I thought there was like there was some odd moments, you know. They looked weird. Looked weird. Yeah, like going down the mountain. Yeah, it just looked cheap and shit. Whereas this mm. one like used those animation moments a little bit better. Like you said, the the bit that just turns into the car chase like animation mm. scene was really fun. Like and it's done really well. Mm. Um, I think he got that right at least. Mm. But that's what you get from his films these days, just give or take, you know. <laughs> it's for the it's for the intellectual. Yeah. And we're, maybe I'm we're too, too dumb. dumb. <laughs> we're too dumb. Our thoughts are just deep on another level. Um the deep in a different way. <laughs> a different way. I'm thinking about notebook time traveling, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> blowing up my hand. <laughs> why did he why did he do that? <laughs> oh man, I'm still like mad about just how illogical those films are. Or that film. Is that is that one that lived in your head? Yeah, unfortunately. But for, it was fun. I had a blast. For the wrong reason. I had a blast talking about that film. Butterfly effect is great. Uh, Alexandre de Blatt does the um, does the score again. I actually th- thought the score was pretty good. I feel like it's one of the better ones of the recent Des Blatt um, films Collab. with Wes Anderson. I thought it was pretty good. It's nice music. I feel like it was the best best one since probably Moonrise. I guess like for him. Yeah. Again, I don't really remember it. I remember it being good in the moment, but yeah, I haven't gone back to it yet. Uh, but Phil, to break your heart a little bit, oh. 43.8 million on a $25 million budget. <sighs> hey, you know, we're coming into award season here. Now, mm. French Dispatch actually was nominated for the Palme d'Or, which is 
pretty cool. But it actually did compete. It competed at Ken, whereas, you know, Licorice Pizza didn't. But Licorice Pizza seems like it's going to get a lot of love, you know, you in these bigger award shows. Whereas, uh, like, it's definitely going to get nominated for best score, I think, for uh, French Dispatch. But I don't mm-hmm. think maybe costumes and stuff. I Costume don't think it's going to like screenplay. Yeah, maybe set design and all that sort of stuff like the technical awards, maybe screenplay, I don't know, but I just editing. I, just, I don't see it getting like winning a lot of these awards whereas like Licorice Pizza, who knows, man? Is this is this this year? PTA's year. I, who knows? Every every time. I think that every time and every time I'm disappointed. Yeah. I don't know what he needs to do. <laughs> and at what point it's just going to give it's just going to be like a gimme. Yeah just gonna be like okay you get you you just deserve one here you go yeah but i don't know it could go either way well we can finish this up with the uh <laughs> one time last time ever ranking last time ever rank them <laughs> are we putting them against each other or yeah just, just those two them? against each other we know the answer yeah, I mean, like Christian. Yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody, we're still Anderson guys. It's great. Guess, yeah. It's good to know that good we luck. ended all this and we got all all the way to this point to just get to the point where we're like, yeah, I'm still an Anderson guy. <laughs> if it was the other way, it still wouldn't have turned the tide, would it? Not at like, all. PTA was still no winning way. by quite Not a bit. even for me, and I had way more Wes Anderson films, but like it was still way deeper for PTA at the end. Yeah, maybe it's just because they swapped, yeah. you know, like ship, ships passing <laughs> in the night. In the night. Yeah. And we'll see, maybe they'll pass again one day. Maybe, yeah. Maybe Wes Anderson will have this like career reason. Uh, I mean, we're saying this like people don't absolutely love his fucking films now, but like, you know, for, for Why like, would the he old diehard fans... Of the old shit, uh, like a renaissance of like, you know, just really cool, simplified films in his older age that just stylistically look fucking amazing. And then just like PTA just goes back to like being an old fart who's just like making just like, all right, you know, like hard eight too. Cool. <laughs> hard 16. Hard 16. All right. Um, yeah, that's it. You Anderson it. versus Anderson. It's done. It's finally done in the book. The, the circle is complete. It's the circle of life. <laughs> We've been sitting on it for a while. It's been months since they both had a new one. We finally reviewed them. Yeah, we finally did it. Speaking of something that we're finally going to do that we've been sitting on, <laughs> not just months, many months. Many. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. Many years. Many years. Phil. Gone in 60 seconds. (laughs) Next week. Bill, it's time to um, bring out the horse's head. Someone's going to get the horse's head. We're finally going to fucking do it. (laughs) Part two. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm going to have to re-listen to that. Me too. I think I need to listen to it as well. And try and recapture that energy, whatever it was. Yeah. That was good energy. Do it again. If you so haven't figured out, it's uh, The Godfather Part 2. It's long been promised. Two. There was, Back in the habit. I feel like there was like one person like that was asking that we would do it. Was it David Ricard? 
I think no, I'm just politely ignored it. <laughs> but then that one guy who's like, you should do George, and you're like, fine, we'll do George. That was the same guy. I was saying that. <laughs> David. So he got his. He got yeah, it. you got yours. Um, yeah, no so more. we're finally going to do it. Uh, it's taken us like two years for real. Um, that, we had that was all the way episode happened. 42. So Godfather, part, the first film, episode 42. Uh, to be honest, that was like the first episode where I felt like Phil and I were really fucking clicking. Uh, and that was literally just before the pandemic wasn't it yeah literally Jesus a couple of weeks Jesus Christ. so it has been almost two years so uh yeah go check it out ladies and gentlemen next week it'll be in your feed <laughs> phil and i are gonna bring out the horse's head one more time for one more round and um maybe we'll i don't, I don't think know. they're in the horse's head in part two there isn't unfortunately yeah, but there should be we'll find that's all i'm going to be talking about the entire time there's not a horse's head at all but there should be where was the horse's head (laughs) instead of shooting him why didn't he just give him the horse (laughs) all right ladies and gentlemen you can find us at the pcc podcast on twitter and instagram or you can send us an email at podcast prince as we say all the time you want to support the podcast patreon.com forward slash the pcc podcast you can find me at tall for all t-a-l-l the normal four a-l-l on twitter and instagram phil where can people find you <laughs> i'm at farway sad on twitter and in real life and at the cinema most days shibuya, shibuya, shibuya. fighting maybe not i made that joke last time i'm gonna say fighting off fighting off frenchmen after this episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's been a real string of Frenchmen. It's kind of crazy. Uh, ever since, like, you know, all those, like, anti-vaccine protesters came, like, the really insane Frenchmen have been coming to the cinema. Like, just really You think aggro. that's a connection? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Are they one in the same? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. You tell Let us. Let us know. You tell us. Yeah. Let us know. Email us. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're just completely fried so uh we're just I'm gonna have to so tired. finish this, this uh, i've been hung over for three weeks <laughs> <laughs> all right see you next week yeah <coughs> this podcast is presented by the breadcrumbs collective home of the pod charles cinecast caged in Copa connections a drip town limery main franchise and many more to come Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.